1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Opus Energy Insights on Barron's Live. My name is Denton Sincrograna. I'm Chief Oil Analyst at Opus, a Dow Jones company, and my guest today is my colleague Tom Kloza, Global Head of Energy Analysis at Opus. Uh, welcome, Tom, and thank you for joining us here on Barron's Live.
0: Great to be here.
1: All right. So what we're going to do today is get into some of the elements of our 2023 outlook, which uh, we should probably have a link for you at the end of End of the show here. It's a, it's a free download, but also really start with crude oil and then work our way through refined products, top to bottom, bottom to top, whichever way you want to look at it. And we've already seen an array of forecasts from um, from from the big banks for 2023. Goldman Sachs tends to be a little bit more bullish than everyone else, uh, about a $97.50 average for for Brent for the year, while uh, City has been. Uh, a little bit more measured, a little bit more bearish, uh, probably in the $80 range. But both of them are pointing towards uh, the China reopening, uh, for go, stepping away from the COVID zero policies. Um, Goldman believes that this is going to be a huge boom for, for oil demand uh, in 2023, while cities like, hey, this could be a little bit clumsy and the rollout may be uh, not as smooth and, and precision-like um, as you may think. So, uh, Tom, do you have any thoughts on that right there?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, one thing I would stress is that global oil statistics are not measured with precision instruments. And this is why you have this large divergence in opinions. Uh, I would say this much, you know, we're probably about $11 a barrel on crude oil benchmarks above where we were December 12th or 11th. I'm not sure of the day, but... We scraped a low of about seventy and change for WTI, and about five uh, or six dollars higher for Brent back then. But I think you know one of the things that's happened is we have seen the Chinese reopening, and we've seen a lot of speculation about what that's going to do. You know the the surges that are anticipated in global demand average somewhere between five hundred thousand barrels a day to as much as 1.5 million barrels a day. And of course, those are expectations. The first quarter, I think most people would acknowledge, you know, there's more supply than there is demand in the first quarter, it tends to be typically quite low. So we'll have to see what happens. The one thing I would stress that's also been kind of the culprit that has driven crude oil prices so high in really a short period of time, has been the notion of asset diversification you know we didn't really see crude oil as an asset for passive inflows or big index funds or whatever until about 2003 or 2004 and it really escalated to where those passive inflows that money flow so to speak would really drive crude oil uh prices spectacularly 2007 2008 are some examples that money is returning right now. I know you yourself like to follow the money, Denton, in some of the CFTC uh, assessments. And that money has returned. And it's returned not just for crude, but it's returned for gasoline as well.
1: 100%. You're, you're absolutely right. And the, the money flow that you and I like to talk about all the time is it's really kind of ramped up. And, and this is really the time of the year. Early in the year, I'll obviously take out the first couple of days of 2023, but that's when it really starts to happen in, in, you know, mid to late January. So that money flow is coming back into the market, and that's what's kind of given it. You know, I know the phrase you like to use is a sugar rush uh, yeah. for, for oil prices right now. So, but the banks, you know, they're really good at, at what they do when it comes to crude oil, obviously. But what do they get wrong sometimes?
0: Well, they really get the refined products wrong. And I'm not going to single out a couple of banks, but uh, they're particularly inept in predicting what's going to happen with RBOB, which is really the first mover for gasoline prices in this country. An example last year, and I won't go into the culprits, but one bank said that in order to see real demand destruction for ga- gasoline, you would have to go to $6.02 a gallon. Another one had a a a number closer to 650 or 660. Uh, They try to model these things based on regular heuristics or algorithms or whatever. But what they don't realize is that people react to gasoline prices the way you and I react to the Dallas Cowboys winning in the playoffs. (laughs) We don't have to worry about that too much, you know, once you get in December or January. But it really sponsors a visceral reaction. And the fact of the matter is that we saw demand destruction last year, long before we got anywhere close to the numbers that are in the models. I mean, people will stop driving or they'll change their behaviors because it's part of the overall inflation package. You know, they're not just paying more for gasoline. They're paying more for all sorts of goods and services. Uh, But it's almost as though there are people who, will drive less when they think that they're being taken advantage of. And that was really on display last year. And it could be on display again this year if we go too far too fast.
1: Yeah. And again, like you said, you can't model human behavior. And I think what had happened last year, we really started to see the evidence of the demand destruction uh, in in premium prices, actually. You know, premium is something that, you know, a lot of people who drive uh, premium-only vehicles they don't care about the price of gasoline but they started to change we heard from retailers that they started to change when prices got to around 520 530 540 and that was the kind of hint that the regular driver who's buying regular gasoline is really going to start to start to change their, their habits and their and their patterns so so let, let's get dive into that a little bit more with uh, gasoline demand what does gasoline demand look like this year i mean Granted, over the last couple of years, it's been, you know, kind of kind of in a decline. I think that's because, you know, our vehicles are so much more fuel efficient. You're getting more with less. And really, out of COVID, we still have a very strong work from home uh, country right now. There's still a lot of people working from home. You and I are doing it right now. So, uh, you know, any thoughts there?
0: Well, I I think that the gasoline demand that we saw from 2016 through 2019, uh, that is peak gasoline demand for the United States. The rest of the world is different. India had a 47% increase in in light-duty vehicle sales, fossil fuel vehicles. So India obviously is on the ascent and a lot of developing countries are. But in the United States, it's a little bit different. You know, when we got to $5 a gallon last year, uh, I guess it was around June 14th or so. It came close to where the typical allotment of expenses for uh, the US consumer in the aggregate was close to $2 billion a day. Now, just to give you a sense of it, right now, even at $350 a gallon, with gasoline demand only about 8 million barrels a day, we're at about $1.1 or $1.2 billion a day. So there's definitely a ceiling there in terms of how much the American public is willing to spend. And I would submit to you that it's a it's a feature of how much gasoline demand goes up and how, how much it drops. We don't believe we're ever going to see those numbers that we saw from 2016 through 2019, uh, which was an average on an annualized basis of about 9.3 million barrels a day or something, I think, close to 400 million gallons. Those numbers are gone. I mean, you know, commuting has changed and uh, the new vehicles are much, much uh, better mileage. And there is a little bit of EV intrusion, I think, in eight states. Uh, California, probably the the most drastic of those. So uh, we may see in the summertime, you know, the occasional 9 million barrel a day uh, demand number uh, but we're not going to see the numbers like we saw previously, where America would hit the road and uh, literally almost use 10 million barrels a day of gasoline. That Those are in the rearview mirror, I think, forever.
1: Right. And, and, you know, kind of switching back to a little bit to, to crude oil, I wanted to talk uh, about market structure right now in the futures market. Last year, we've been dealing with a lot of backwardation. Recently, the market has flipped to contango Quick explanation: Backwardation is the front month contract is worth X, and the uh, uh, the contracts afterwards are cheaper. In in Contango, it's uh, it's it's the opposite, where the, the front month contract is cheaper than the than the outer month contracts. When did that flip, you know what when the flip happened uh, late last year? What was the, any drivers behind that?
0: Well, I think that the big driver was the Ukraine invasion. And that was a big driver. Plus, it was, you know, the, the demand in 2021 was pretty spectacular when compared to the COVID years. So we'd never had a recovery that moved with quite the velocity that we saw in 2021. So that put us behind the eight ball. And then when uh, Mr. Putin decided to invade Ukraine, there was the fear that we were going to lose uh, substantial amounts of Russian crude oil. Now, we have not. We have not. Uh, you know, Russian crude oil and condensate production is still very close to 11 million barrels a day. And we see that they have this shadow fleet and they're selling the crude, albeit at some really, really depressed prices to countries like India and China. So, you know, we, we have that. But the structure tells you a lot. You know, when the market is, I want it now. In other words, you're going to pay a lot more for crude oil now than you will 100 days hence or six months hence. That tells you that it's a very tight upfront market. And the problem with backwardation, where you want it now and you don't necessarily need it on a deferred basis, is it tends to be a self-fulfilling prophecy and it can tend to snowball. When you had thousands of marketers around the country who... you couldn't pay for diesel because the price was close to $5 a gallon wholesale, and yet it was $4 30 or 60 days hence. You had some real problems. and You had people who were afraid of shipping the fuel on the Colonial Pipeline where it takes perhaps 18 days to get it from Houston to Linden, New Jersey. So market structure is a big deal. Right now we're a little bit backwardated on uh, on Brent. We're a little bit of contango on WTI, and I think it reflects that that view that uh, uh, you know for now crude oil supplies are adequate. I mean, indeed, we built by the most uh, we've ever built in the first two weeks of, of uh, 2023, but the market, uh, you know, and I I refer to the market a lot in anthropomorphic terms, like an organism the market perceives that it's not safe to be short right now. Kind of like Tesla stock, you know, sits sort of ground about a hundred dollars or so it's moved up, not because they have great governance or great sales numbers or whatever, but it's not safe to be short. And that's been the the truth basically in the oil market since around the middle of December.
1: And that backwardation is still pretty prevalent in in diesel. Granted, it's not as, wide as it was in April and late March, April and May of of, of 2022, but still a good 10, 12 cents uh, going from February to March and then March to to April. So,
0: well, diesel, uh, diesel really merits a lot of attention right now because, you know, diesel prices went absolutely ballistic uh, in the second and third and fourth quarters of 2000, 2022 in Great part, because the price of natural gas in Europe, you know, we would wake up and we would see the price of natural gas on the Dutch tidal transfer facility would be the equivalent of $590 a barrel oil. So there was a lot of oil going for fuel switching instead of natural gas, and there was the perception that that would uh, continue forever. Lo and behold, what do we have now? But we have natural gas trading for less than the equivalent of $100 a barrel overseas. And we've got the cheapest prices in several years in the United States. So things can turn very, very quickly. And it reminds you that gravity does work in the futures market. But uh, diesel is, you know, I look at diesel and I looked at diesel this week and year to date. I think this is, uh, you know, somewhat telling if if I were looking at it in a closet and was completely oblivious to what was happening around me in terms of the economy, you might decide that these are the numbers that you would see during a recession in the United States. Diesel demand is down about 10 percent from last year. Part of it is because of what Goldman Sachs described as the winner that wasn't. But I think a lot, a lot of it is cause for concern as we go forward.
1: And I'd also like to remind uh, everyone on the on the barons live to uh, submit your questions in the in the Q and A. Uh, we have a long list of questions already, so uh, any more, we'll be uh, we'll try and handle all of them. But um, next week, first week of February, kind of going to turn out to be a pretty big week, and there's three specific events we have in mind here. Why don't you go through them a little bit?
0: yeah um when i was talking about it, it's not safe to be short or it hasn't been safe to be short necessarily in the oil market so far in 2023 a lot of it has to do with what's going to happen next week uh now there, there's some murmurs that perhaps this has already happened but the most critical refinery for the united states in terms of the futures market is really the phillips 66 bayway refinery Uh, In beautiful Linden, New Jersey, I might say. Uh, That refinery goes into maintenance, and it's going to be extensive maintenance for about 60 days or so. That happens, or was scheduled to happen, on February 2nd, Groundhog Day. They may have started that work earlier because of some issues they've had with the crude unit. So that's one uh, sort of element. Number two is on February 5th, we have the European Union ban on refined products from Russia. Now, I know what you're thinking we saw the ban on crude oil on December 5th, and we actually saw the weakest prices for crude oil in about a year happen very soon thereafter because it really didn't impede the flow of Russian crude. They still continue to uh, export about 11 million barrels of their crude and condensate. So that's that's number two. And number three uh, is the return of cold weather. I would say seasonal weather. You know, we started this winter, uh, meteorological winter, with uh, the uh, polar vortex, I think it was Winter Storm Elliott, and Winter Storm Elliott did some, you know, did some numbers on a couple of uh, Gulf Coast and mid-continent refineries, but we do have the cold weather coming back. I think a lot of the trading community has been looking at those three sort of overlapping events and saying, I'm going to wait to see what happens here. Most of the intelligence we have suggests that there is there are going to be some impediments in terms of Russian flows of diesel, gas oil, uh, jet fuel, and whatever that would normally go to Europe. Uh, the Russians may instead decide to sell uh, that material in South America or other parts of the world. And it's going to probably drive up tanker rates, which were already uh, quite uh, expensive. And continue to drive those up, but you can make a case that perhaps uh, the the world will lose about 500,000 barrels a day of finished carb, uh hydrocarbons. So that's the element that we're dealing with next week. Now it may be, you know, if the diesel demand numbers we see aren't just a quirk, it may be that uh, we'll see a repeatable we mm-hmm. saw in December, which is it's safe to sell. After the embargo date passes, uh, the actual loadings for a product that would go to Europe, you know, the last of the product would probably take place this weekend. So we're right on the threshold of, of uh, this very, very important week.
1: Right, and one of the big themes of, of 2022 was there's just not enough refining capacity. Uh, there's are some projects that are coming online within the next, you know, several months, uh, both uh, domestically and internationally. Can, can you talk about those a little bit?
0: Yeah. First of all, I'd say that, you know, you, you heard a lot in 2022 about not enough refining capacity in the world. There was some additional refining capacity. It was all in China and they didn't use it to export barrels. Uh, and So it's always a question mark as to whether they'll do that. Uh, we we were a little bit hamstrung with some refining capacity. Now, in the United States, we've got about, I think, about 430,000 barrels a day of new refining capacity that's being built on top of existing plants. Now, we are going to see a resurrected refinery in Wisconsin, Superior, Wisconsin, the Husky refinery there uh, that... Uh, uh, had a, a fire and explosion a few years ago. and That comes on. That's about 50,000 a day. Uh, Exxon Mobil essentially is going to be commissioning, probably in March, a 250,000 barrel a day, addition to its refining at Beaumont. We also have uh, uh, Valero said yesterday that they'd be adding probably uh, about 90,000 barrels a day of capability and the capability to run a lot of heavy crude Uh, you know, which is great for Valero. And Marathon has uh, some additional capacity at uh, Galveston Bay, I believe. So we do have additional capacity coming on in the United States. I think most of it starts to come on in March and it might be some real world beaters for diesel. You know, the diesel margins have been 50 or $60 a barrel above the price of crude oil. And that may come in, Uh, particularly as Exxon Beaumont uh, comes on stream. Worldwide, you're going to hear about a lot of big projects. You're going to hear about this project uh, from Nigeria, the Dangote Refinery. Dangote is the uh, wealthiest uh, person on the African continent, and a a 650,000-barrel-a-day refinery has been under construction there since 2013. Now, that's a bit of an odd duck, Normally when you have that much refining capacity, you want to have three crude oil trains and you want to have redundant units. This is one big, huge sort of uh, crude oil distillation unit. Uh, There were some reports that it was going to be starting up uh, as soon as January, Uh, that's probably been put back. And by the way, when you hear about new refineries overseas, uh, they tend to come on much, much more slowly than, uh, you know, than, than what uh, will be promised. An example of that, too, is there's a refinery in, in uh, Mexico that has been so, you know, commissioned. And it's almost like you're shovel ready or you're cutting the dirt, you know, for the uh, the building of the refinery. And you're giving people the impression that uh, it's going to have refined products very soon thereafter. The one thing I would I'd say is the first impact you see from new refineries coming on internationally is they can run the crude units and they can make a lot of the IMO compar- uh, uh, excuse me IMO compliant uh, very low sulfur fuel oil that gets used in uh, vessels right now instead of the very viscous uh, high sulfur uh, crap or bunker fuel that used to be used a few years from now. And then after that, you might get jet fuel, and then you might get uh, on-spec diesel. And the last thing you get out of these refineries is gasoline. So there are several million barrels a day of new refining capability that's gonna come on probably in the next four or five quarters. And again, about 430,000 barrels a day in the United States. What I would mention, though, that's also a game changer, is at the end of 2023, Mm -hmm. you're going to have the closure of the Lyondell refinery in Houston. That's about 275,000 barrels a day. That refinery is going to close. Uh, There were some hopes that perhaps someone else might take it up and attempt to run it. But it probably, and this is a problem facing a lot of refiners, they have very very expensive compliance costs and you would have to put about a million excuse me a billion and a half dollars into that refinery to make it compliant with all the regulations going forward so uh that is something to circle on your calendar for later this year right okay.
1: and there's been there's several questions here that uh, involve refining margins and crack spreads um, you mentioned a little bit about diesel probably coming in a little bit and not not getting this $50, 60 70 over WTI that we, we saw in 2020-2022. Where do you see uh, uh, crack spreads kind of moving for gasoline, for diesel, and, and jet fuel as well?
0: Well, uh, I think they'll be very, very uneven uh you know the the margins and and i think last year was a little bit of an aberration let me put it to you this way um i think that our forecast for crude oil is for lower crude oil prices than we saw during the arab spring years 2011 through 2014 when the price of brent crude was about 110 dollars a barrel average for a long period of time believe it or not those years Hundred and ten dollar a barrel crude. We did not see four dollar gasoline in the United States. We got up to three sixty five, the three eighty five, or whatever. There's some reasons for that, and some things have changed. But you know, the uh, the margins for gasoline might have been eight dollars on average, and then they might have gone up to uh, fifteen or twenty five dollars per barrel uh, in that period in the late uh, winter and early spring. Uh, where I call the petronoia uh, period where people are afraid there's not going to be enough gasoline. By the way, folks, there's going to be enough gasoline in the United States this year. There really will be. There may be some hot spots, and we might deal with those, but there's going to be plenty of gasoline. At some point, gasoline is going to be the unwanted hydrocarbon. You can make much, much more money on diesel and jet fuel. $50, $60 a barrel you know the big question out there for refinery experts and i don't consider myself a refinery uh, equity expert is what is mid-cycle what is normal anymore i saw that one of the banks is talking about singapore margins uh, widening or going to 25 dollars a barrel for diesel but the margin assessments are going to be all over the place last year we saw where jet fuel occasionally sold and I'm not making these numbers up for $100 to $200 a barrel over the price of crude for a brief period of time. So I think they'll be all over the place. But I think on balance, there'll be a lot more money, and we're going to be talking somewhere between $20 and $40 a barrel for diesel and jet fuel, and pretty marginal on the gasoline side. You know, one of the myths is that a refinery can operate like a ceiling fan where you just switch it to either blow down or up and it can make almost all diesel or all gasoline. You can't do that. And uh, if you run hard to make a lot of gasoline, excuse me, to make a lot of diesel, like we saw really from the midpoint of 2022 uh, up until a few weeks ago, you're gonna make a lot of gasoline we would have seen tremendous gasoline inventory builds in the month of January were it not for Winter Storm Elliott knocking out a lot of uh, US capacity. So um, we dodged a bullet, or he might have taken a bullet depending on your perspective.
1: Well, you did mention some hotspots for gasoline. What Can you uh, give us a few examples?
0: Sure, I mean California is always going to be a hot spot going on. Uh, we saw the decommissioning of a refinery in the East Bay that Phillips had that would make intermediate products to turn into gasoline and diesel at a, a another refinery, you know, a little bit further away where they process it, make it into transportation fuel. Uh, California is short one refinery, the whole state is. And, you know, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, California goes to summer specifications in Southern California uh, toward the end of next week and in Northern California in the middle of March. And, you know, I would submit that if there was an accident or an act of God or something that knocked out a refinery with some serious damage in California, it would not be brought back it would not be rebuilt. So the area is short. You're probably three weeks away from some of the Far Eastern supplies that could supplement the region, and it's got the toughest specifications. Now, it's also an area where the regulators have said, we want to be weaned off of fossil fuel. So, you know, this is kind of the, there's no such thing as a free lunch. The Pacific Northwest, to a certain extent, is also a little bit of a hot spot. The Rocky Mountains, uh, one of the things uh, in 2021 was the excessive heat that we saw in parts of the country. A lot of refineries were not built to run when ambient air standards go into the 90s in places like Billings, Montana, and so we had a lot of breakdowns for refineries. So, uh, and the new hot spot is Colorado because you know, you've got the one local refinery there that is shut down until further notice. And people I know, entrepreneurial people in in the business are trying to figure out if they can rail gasoline from the U.S. Gulf Coast to Colorado because that area needs that refinery. So, you know, the one thing I would stress is that uh, the population of the country has swelled, you know, dramatically in the last 25 years or so. And if you look at gasoline inventories... You know, we're very much just in time. Uh, I compare it to sort of the, the Bay of Fundy. The Bay of Fundy has a tremendous high tide and a tremendous low tide because of the morphology or the shallow water there. We're very, very shallow on U.S. inventories of gasoline, incredibly shallow in California with very low inventories. But for the rest of the country, with the exception of probably Texas and Louisiana, you know, one refinery uh if you saw the whiting refinery that bp operates near chicago go down uh or the memphis refinery that Valero operates go goes down you know everything within that area would be uh, impacted very very quickly so you know it, it's kind of a mixed message i think we've got plenty of uh, product uh, across the country uh But if you have those isolated events, they can really, really reverberate downstream. Most years, we don't see that. In the last six months, we've had an issue. We've had a lot of refineries breaking down. We've had weather impacts. We've had more refinery maintenance uh, than we're accustomed to because a lot of these refineries ran uh, long and hard in 2022 because of you know, the tremendous profits and the need for the product. So that's always something you have to watch on 10th
1: There was a question that popped up on the Q and a, um, and the name disappeared. So I apologize, but, uh, outlook for heating oil.
0: Well, you know, it, it, if you had asked me that before Christmas week, it looked like it, it would be a real problem. Uh, and we had that degree day cluster, but now all of a sudden, uh, you know, we've had probably the mildest January on record for the U.S. Northeast. Uh, I, You know, there's a lot of people with heating oil and they've been getting deliveries probably five dollars and, and, and more per gallon. I think prices are, are probably a little bit top heavy because we have a return of seasonable weather. And in the heating oil business, you tend to make deliveries uh, based on. The need to get rid of product and almost all homeowners in the Northeast who are on what they call automatic fill are have full tanks. So if you had a measure, if you could uh, uh, take, you know, uh, 100,000 households and say, you know, where are your heating oil tanks right now? They're pretty close to full uh, because this was the winter that wasn't.
1: Okay, here's one from John. How hard will the global diesel crunch starting next month be felt in the interior of the U.S.?
0: The interior is a little bit better off than the rest of the, uh, the world. You know, when you get to tidal water, I, I know there was a refinery in uh, uh, Alberta that was looking to move its product by rail to the Gulf, excuse me, to the uh, Pacific Coast. And the notion was that if you could get to tidal water, Uh, The world was your oyster if you had diesel or jet fuel, because world prices have been so, so high for those products. So, you know, I think that's probably going to remain true. Uh, I think we have to look at Europe and say they dodged a bullet this winter, but they could still see that bullet uh, return next winter in terms of high natural gas prices. And in terms of high diesel prices and, of course, you know, a lot of people on the European continent and in the islands use a heating oil, a gas oil, so to speak. So I I think that that will keep the world markets a little bit propped up uh, for diesel, which is essentially the same molecule as a gas oil or a heating oil. Uh, So it will tend to be that the uh, refineries that are in the middle part of the United States or the mid continent, or really in all of North America, probably won't be able to see, uh, or won't see the numbers as high as they are in the tidal markets. And I would expect that going forward.
1: So another one in the Q and A, this is from Hayden. Should fuel jobbers increase storage? I'm sorry, what was that question? Should jobbers increase their storage?
0: Well, you know, most uh, jobbers are, you know, for those of you not familiar with the terms, uh, folks that uh, distribute refined products, they don't really have much storage out there. There's not a lot of secondary storage for gasoline or diesel in this country. Uh, I think it's probably difficult, and I, I would say I'd always refrain from uh, suggesting that uh, marketers of any type uh, who aren't refiners uh, be day traders and try to take example of... Uh, you know, prices going up or down. Now, we are going to see a switch here uh, between March and April when we go to the summer gasoline. And there will, you know, there's almost always a lift in the price that you have to pay for uh, the summer gasoline, which has a lot less vapor pressure uh, than what you can load it with in the winter. So, you know, if someone had storage and they could, you uh, uh, sock away some of the winter gasoline that they could use or blow through their stations in the interim that that makes sense but generally i i uh, try to advocate that people not uh, uh, that people market and not try to day trade uh too
1: much yeah. um this may be a little bit early for this one but jacob's already moving on to 2024 thoughts on where oil will be in 2024
0: uh, well, I, I have to profess that I think that you can have reasonable expectations for what happens in the next nine, 90 days or 180 days. Uh, anything beyond that is witchcraft. So rather than sort of uh, be like the witches of Eastwick here, I'll, I'll defer. I will say one thing about 2024. Uh, I know that there's a couple of banks that think that refining margins are going to remain incredibly wide in epic proportion through 2024, and the return to normal doesn't come until 2025. I think that's probably a little bit of being guilty of predicting what you want to happen. So I I would submit that refined product margins look very, very robust uh, out as far as you can go into 2023. But in 2024, uh, I'm not so sure that we're not going to see a return to mid-cycle.
1: And this one is from Thomas. What are some examples of global incidents that would significantly impact uh, prices, either positively or negatively?
0: Well, you know, there's a lot of things. I mean, it's notwithstanding what happened uh, with Ukraine last year, we're fairly lucky without a lot of disruptions in a lot of parts of the world that can really have damaging consequences. Iran, you know, an example of that. Iraq, an example of that. You know, at any moment, uh, I think Ed Morse from City calls them the fragile five. Nigeria, Iraq, Iran, Venezuela, and Libya. Uh, yeah those five countries. At any moment, you can have hundreds of thousands of barrels a day of of crude oil disappear. So, you know, so far in 2023 and really for most of 2022, they were pretty standard. Now, I don't think there are going to be any efforts by the Biden administration to resurrect, you know, Iranian uh, oil or to lift sanctions on that. So I, I don't think we're looking for additional oil there. At some point, one would think that Venezuela, which has the greatest proved reserves in the world, you know, might have some sort of resurrection, but that doesn't appear to be in the cards this year.
1: Right, okay. Um, I think that is all the time we have right now. So uh, I wanna thank you for being here, Tom, and uh, thanks to our audience for tuning in. So please join us again on Monday, uh, Barron's Senior Managing Editor Lauren R. Rubin, and Deputy Editor Ben Levinson will discuss the outlook for financial markets, industry sectors, and individual stocks. Thanks for listening. Uh, Stay well. Have a great weekend. Thank you.
0: The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.